Welcome back to part two. In this section, Daniel will be talking about magic versus coronavirus, his own magical practices, the morality of magic and the ethics of turning people into toads. Enjoy. Down to the sort of the more standard views again, you know, the, the, the idea of magic is you can make manifest material in front you know you can make a building happen in front of you magic if we if we you know you should be able to make coronavirus go away you should be able to <laughs> do you know what i mean make balls of fire appear in the sky that that's that's the sort of standard thing. do you do you know of people doing that has that does that happen or is can magic do these things these utterly extraordinary things so the literature on this is quite wild. And I, again, recommend the books of Dean Radin because he'll okay. give you more than, he'll actually give you better accounts and you know, first-hand reports and, and science and data on this and historical reports. So there are actually so many reports, even extending into the modern era of journalism, of collective visions of strange things happening, of miracles, that uh, it's, it's very hard to simply dismiss all of that. It is clearly true that there is something of a bell curve on this. And the more outrageous the act and the thing and the manifestation become, clearly the more rare they seem to occur. But from a certain point of view, it may just be that we've defined magic as the stuff that just occurs way less. Right? So it's, it's hard to tell. We may have just have gotten used to so much magical stuff happening all the time. It's only the weird stuff we now designate as magic, right? Or the yeah, super yeah. rare stuff, right? So yeah. it's very hard to tell what's what's the actual origin of the sense of what magic is and what magic isn't from a certain point of view the fact of consciousness is ridiculous like you could make a dog out of dog food that is crazy right i mean <laughs> a dog is entirely made of dog food right that's yeah, yeah, yeah. an air and water like and water what else do you make and yet that seems to so that's just science and yet there's mystery there we don't understand how that's conscious how these atoms are conscious we have no idea so anyway but it is true that the weird of the manifestation, like just suddenly bringing an entire building into life instantaneously, like the, the, the laws of physics clearly have a certain point of view been designed as saying, almost demarcating what miracles are. Mm. And yet weird, miraculous things do happen, perceptual things, people communicating across planets instantaneously, knowing things about when a loved one has died, that there, physics just, there's no, like there's no way that you could have known that i'm sorry and just people getting these curious intuitions or uh, like um i know people who have predicted the future accurately a number of times because they've told me the prediction and then um you know I, I have a person i'm very close to who literally every time she says this which is not that often it's maybe every year or two she's always right every single time and she predicts these weird things uh what can you say about that like uh, as a scientist I go, well, you're a hundred percent like that's about some weird stuff like that's pretty unusual um but uh so and, and they're like you know there was a thing in, in spain like some collective vision of the sky and maybe the virgin mary and things so if you look up virgin mary sightings like it just gets wilder and wilder <laughs> the things about you know statues weeping and other strange things you start and in healing like the whole literature on magical healing and the quote-unquote placebo effect which is how the muggles attempted to say this is not magic right mm -hmm. uh, the literature on that is so wild as to just be beyond belief right the more you read about placebo effect uh, or stigmata if you start reading about stigmata and people suddenly getting wounds on them for, for no obvious reason and other strange effects like you just start going okay this is weirder than weird and so, so strange stuff does happen, but clearly the way we designate magic is the more rare it is, the more magical it is, right? So, I mean, our definition almost gets in the way of the question. Yeah, no, that, I think we, we talked last time about, you know, Deeper Ma famously and um, yeah. doing amazing things and people being there to, to verify, you know, she'd yes. get lines from speeches that were to happen in a few months time and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. She was a pretty down to earth lady, wasn't she? So, yeah, a grandmother and people bending time and do other doing other odd things, or um, energetic manipulation of of people and very strange perceptual effects from that. Like I'll I'll tell a strange story and I don't know what this is. I'm just going to tell the story. 
So um, I used to be part of a meditation group in the 90s it was where actually it's called the Meditation Teacher Support Group, where we'd meet once a month with a guy named John Orr. And there was a woman named Patty there. And we were uh, meeting at her house. And I opened the door and she said, hey, how are you? And I was about to come in. And then she just puts her hand out and puts it and presses on the center of my chest, right in the middle of my chest. And I felt like my heart, like it felt like it cracked open and kind of exploded. And like, like a walnut shell around my heart had just been blasted to pieces. It was this incredibly weird mix of bizarrely painful, like emotionally, like almost shattering in a like instant heart opening kind of way. But like it had like broken something, but broken something that desperately needed to break. I was just utterly stunned. Um, and I, I, didn't, I didn't even know what to do or say. I was like, it was one of the more powerful visceral experiences I had on this whole of my spiritual path. And then she just sort of smiled and she said, okay, come on in. And I don't know if she was doing this intentionally. I didn't even say anything to her because I didn't even have language for it at the time. I was relatively new to the path. I didn't know like what to say, but it was one of these experiences. Like, what the hell was that? It doesn't make any sense from a sciencey point of view. And yet I felt like something in my heart had cracked open. It was healing in some bizarre way. I don't even know what that is. Like, she didn't say anything. There was no expectation. She had never put her hand on my heart before. There was no scripting. I don't even know what the hell that was. It's never happened to me before or since. Like, and it just stands as one of these strange things. Like, but it was so viscerally powerful. It literally felt like a walnut shell around my heart had cracked open with as painful as you could imagine that being, and then as freeing. Like, what is that? I don't know. And I could just go on and on with stories like that, but that's one of the better ones. Um, and, and then the other question is, does it matter, like, ontologically, like, what that is, if the effect was transformative? So the question of real comes into this, which is very important. And what's real? And a lot of people have this notion of real is like dreams are not real, but you know, going to work is or something mm -hmm. like that. Or my thoughts are not real, but something else is. But I have this notion of causality and causality is actually really important. And if you have definitions of real that exclude things that are clearly causal, your definition of real is a pretty small one and you need to recognize that. And um, because dreams are clearly causal, something caused them and they cause something else. They cause physiological effects. Our thoughts are causal. Our, you know, those experiences, even if you just said I was crazy, you know, when Patty put her hand on my chest and I had this weird experience. Well, it was causal. It actually, tr I felt like it transformed my heart and emotions literally in that second and changed something functional. Uh, and so even if it's not real, like from some really strict muggle point of view, well, it was really important and it had effects. And sometimes to have even language for that or to explain it or talk about it or process it, the only language we have seems magical. And processing the stuff is important. Connecting about the stuff is important. Sharing it and describing it and understanding something of how it works, I think is important. And so magical paradigms can be very helpful when going into the sorts of territory to be able to connect with people, to to try to make sense of it, to bring some meaning to it, and to figure out what useful you might be able to do with it, also very important. Which brings me to the question I'm sort of forming, and I'm not quite sure if I've got the way of asking, but your last word about being useful is, a lot of the results of, you know, vague, we're not quite sure what's happening, and, you know, you, we can't say, well, we know we can make buildings, or we can be, you know, sometimes it happens, but we're not quite sure. You, you you would say well well why bother with magic it obviously there's we have a limited amount of time there's a limited amount of energy you could be putting that time and energy to other things why bother with magic what 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 would be your thoughts around that yeah except that at least for me on the spiritual path past a certain point i just couldn't avoid it anymore there was too much weird stuff showing up i had to learn something about how to deal with entities when they showed up I had to learn something about how to deal with energetic phenomena when they showed up. I had to learn something about how to deal with and process odd perceptual things like this, these occasional moments where it would seem like I understood something about someone that I couldn't have possibly known, or maybe I read their thoughts. And again, I'm not good at this. This, was just, this has just happened at relatively few times in my life at that way. But when it happens and it, it's like, okay, wait a second, 
it, it becomes very important to understand how to deal with that ethically, how to process it, how to relate to that skillfully. And magical frameworks help me with that because otherwise these things can be confusing. They can be a source of unbelievable, you know, freak out or fascination or ego tripping or terror or thinking you're going crazy. And magical frameworks helped me normalize ground down and do something vastly more skillful than any of those reactions. And at certain point in my meditation practice, it was just unavoidable. I didn't going into, did not go into this thinking I was going to get into magic, right? right. I was a scientific materialist, rationalist, had taken physics and had rejected religion in my, you know, mid twenties. It was just one hundred percent. You know, of course, I liked, you know, Lord of the Rings and stuff, but that was just fiction and all that. It just it was fun entertainment. But of course, no, I, I would have told someone. I, I would have told myself right now, I'd lost my mind. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, um, I'm still highly functional. I'm a highly functional person. I've been successful in life. I was able to be training in magic all through my scientific and medical education, and it wasn't a problem. Just like, you know, I, one of the best cardiologists I've ever worked with is still quite convinced that dinosaurs and Adam and Eve played together in the Garden of Eden, Eden 6,000 years ago, and he's a totally brilliant clinician, right? Just stellar guy, and I would absolutely have him take care of me in a second even though some people will consider those views somewhat magical and or totally just crazy. Um, and other people would be, of course, you know, dinosaurs in Eden 6,000 years ago, right? So, so you've got to um, realize that we are incredibly complicated creatures. Nearly everybody actually has something of a magical worldview. If you press them hard enough, almost everybody has had some kind of magical experience, even if they totally wrote it off or dismissed it or tried to rationalize it away, or is very close to someone who has. And most people actually have some magical beliefs about things they think are lucky or not lucky, or maybe ghosts are real or superstitions or something they've got something in there it is actually very hard to meet a true muggle in all aspects that is literally 100 percent magic <laughs> <True> free. Muggle. <laughs> a pure muggle is actually a quite a rarity you know uh, so uh so yeah so anyway um questions thoughts i've been talking a lot yeah no it's a, a, a what kind of practices do you do? You know, what to, to, if, if you wouldn't mind, if you can share it, can you tell us a bit about some of your magical practices? Yeah, so magical practices I do. I do a lot of loving kindness and blessings. It's really good. I do, it just, it doesn't seem like magic. Oh, that's just meta practice. I was going to say, it's, it's not that's something just whatever. to mind, no. Yeah, but actually I think blessings are one of the cleanest, best, highest level magical practices you can do. So I routinely in the evenings, particularly under the moonlight, like to stand out in a courtyard and bless everything. So uh, I will literally stand out there and just go blessings and all beings and all non-beings and all things that might be like beings and all things I don't know if they're beings or not and blessings in all times and all universes and all of these things everywhere, extending to all categories and non-categories of all types of possible entities and things, um, blessings to all things that even don't think they deserve blessings, blessings to all good creatures, all bad creatures from any point of view, blessings to all demons, gods, spirits, elements, you know, to all humans, blessings to the entire planet and world, blessings on my family and my community and society, you know, and I just sort of the scattergun of every single thing I can possibly think of and I feel the feeling and just radiate it out as strongly as I possibly can. It's just one of the most delightful things to do. And I think it's super skillful magic. Okay. Um, and uh, I do a, a lot of focused meta practice. I send good healing intentions to people who might be having a hard time um, singly and specifically and also generally. Um, and then I do retreats where I go on fire casino retreats and we get our concentration super strong, which is where a lot of the magic that most people are thinking this podcast was going to be about, but so far hasn't been much yet, right? But we're getting this. Thank you for your patience. Um, you know, I'm, trying, I'm trying to avoid the more spectacular showy stuff early on because that can get a little sideshowish and sort of gaudy or tawdry or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a little bit more of a, yeah, like a carnivalesque display. Not that there can't be something fun about that in the yeah, right context. There sure. absolutely can be, right? And I like the costumes and props and masks and wands and crystals and all that. So if you went downstairs to the room just right below this one, you would see my whole altar set up. And on my altar, there's candles, there's cloths, there's incense uh, that I get very tweaky about. There's 
crystals and there's wands and there's daggers and there's keys and coins and tarot cards and other oracle decks and a meditation cushion to sit there and get powered up and a window that opens onto nature. And I think about directions and I think about moon cycles and I think about energies and just sort of what's going on. And actually, weirdly enough, a lot of my magical practice is actually involved in like, okay, is this a time to formally cast? Because I do in my mind sort of think about formal casting differently. And I spend a lot of time actually just sitting there feeling into the space and going, is this a time to do formal casting? And if so, what would I do? And I actually think that feeling into that um, touching of consciousness with experience and feeling into energies, feeling into situations, feeling into histories, feeling into the future of vision, of dreams, of signs and portents and omens, and thinking, what could these mean? Where does this go? What's the energy that's flowing now? What has to happen? The simple fact of doing that is actually one of the most important magical things I do because it frees the brain up to think in creative ways, to explore into situations, to see it from different points of view, from other people's points of view, from other communities' points of view. And it allows the application of magical ethics, which I think are incredibly important as I continue to talk about. So what is truly the most skillful thing to do? What is wisdom here? What would people from utterly different traditions think of this? What would the people on the other side of this conversation or even conflict what are they thinking about this? What are the magical energies they're bringing? And what's the compassion in that? What's the wisdom in their side? Because magic is sort of, from a certain point of view, always um, playing on this weird line between the collective, that everything interacts with everything else, that everything touches everything else, that everything is this divine swirling dance. And yet the individuals, the two sides to everything. So it plays on that fascinating edge of unity and duality of causality, which from a certain point of view is all interconnected from yet another point of view, always involves at least two sides, two points of view. And so actually the vast majority of the time of my magical practice is actually not formal casting. It's actually feeling into that. And I'm sort of cautious as a caster, weirdly enough, even though I talk a lot about magic, I do very little formal magic um, in that kind of grand old ceremonial way. I reserve that for situations where all of a sudden it feels like enough wisdom has collected around uh, something that feels clean enough and good enough to me and feels well enough thought out. And, and then I say, you know, from a very Buddhist point of view, would the wise approve of this? And I imagine wise magical counselors and me sitting before them and presenting my case to them, sort of almost like a, a jury or a, a, a counsel. And I say, would this be a good idea? And then I try to listen to what they would say. And if it finally gets through all that, then I cast. <laughs> so now we're actually getting to magical practices. Magical practices for me involve the first step, formal magic, of having done all that pre-work, making sure this feels karmically clean and good to me, as good as I can get it, realizing that I'm a flawed mammal that will not understand anything like all the sides of it or all the causes of my actions. And having to have some comfort with that, but going, okay, finally in my heart, in my gut, this feels clean. I feel safe and like I can do this and feel okay about it and feel like later on I will be ethically okay with my decisions, that I will not have magic remorse. So once I've got all that done, then formal magic for me is making the bases clean. So I would actually shower or take a bath, um, usually very quietly and contemplatively. I would use, sometimes put on formal clothing, but I don't always, sometimes I just cast normally dress, but sometimes I put on robes and occasionally masks and other strange things, um, just because uh, why not? It helps set the mood. It helps galvanize intent. It has some sort of mythic magical resonance to deep parts of myself that respond well to that, that are hard to explain. So I think magic also involves getting comfortable with those sides of yourself that think like a magical kid, that appreciate the aesthetics of magic. It took me a long time to actually be comfortable with that and feel like that was okay. The trappings, the colors, the, the candles, the whatever I do, however you like doing magic. I'm not saying you should use any of those necessarily, but whatever magic feels like for you, the walk in the sacred forest or something or a grove. Becoming comfortable with the aesthetics of magic and recognizing that within yourself, everything has a magical resonance effect, certain, certain ways of just certain settings, certain rooms, certain people, certain language, 
has a magical effect on you, right? The advertisers know this well, right? They use it all the time. And so I've had to learn to become comfortable with that in a way that my sort of scientific rationalist materialist was not comfortable with, but my heart and gut and something in the feeling of it need, um, I think. And so um, recognizing the culture you grew up in probably has a lot of resonance for you while you can sometimes adopt the resonance of other cultures you didn't grow up with. The one you grew up with likely has a deeper power and being okay with that, even if maybe you're training in a Tibetan magical tradition or something, if you didn't grow up in that, it may not actually have the power for you of some, some magical things you grew up with. Just having some sensitivity and understanding of those dynamics. Okay, so doing all the pre-work, which is the vast majority of the thing, getting clean, getting dressed if I want to, getting in the right setting, setting up if I want candles, if I want certain crystals, if I want certain wands or whatever, or just bells or whatever, setting all that up, sitting down, and then usually I just stop for a while. And I get my mind concentrated and clear and clean and strong. And so that for me involves going specifically through jhanas. So this is Buddhist magic now 101, rising formally through the jhanas um, up to the fourth jhana or eighth jhana, just depending on what I feel like, coming out. And then there's the spell itself which I'm a very intuitive caster. So I, I've read a lot of grimoires and spell books and, and you know, rituals and ceremonies from a wide variety of traditions. But I've done enough of that kind of imitative work that now I feel very comfortable just doing what feels right. The words that come to me, the motions, the implements, the instruments, and just doing it until like, I feel the spell is cast, which might be a very short period of time. It might be something super simple, just like, okay, it's time to let this intention fly. That's, that I've been building up and then poof, just letting it fly out into the world. And maybe that's a few seconds and that's the whole spell. Or sometimes I might do a vastly more elaborate ritual until it feels like this, the thing has been cast, which might involve writing or paper or pens, which are used in magical traditions all over the world, might involve chanting, might involve movements or even dancing. Um, might, who knows what it might involve? And I just go with it. Um, might involve symbols. Uh, colors, um, yeah, might involve evoking very specific feelings within myself, uh, might involve sending energies in very direct, various directions. And then once that's done, I'll often just sit there and like feel the resonance of that ping out into the world. Like, okay, what have I done? What's the consequence of this? Where does this go? How does this feel? And seeing what rings back and then paying attention to that for days, weeks, months, years because there's some spells that take a very long time to seem to really unfold and then being patient and that patience and letting stuff go and seeing what comes from that is also part of the art of magic, right? Okay. I did this. What happens? And being something of a scientist, I keep a journal. When I do these things, I write it down and then I go back and review that and say, what happened from that? And I try to learn because the causality is ridiculously complicated, but it's not totally without patterns you can start to see patterns and becoming comfortable in pattern recognition without thinking you're losing your mind and keeping a good and healthy perspective on that is definitely part of the training. And that takes a long time and I have no idea how anybody could ever be completed in that, but that's part of the journey. So that's sort of a lot of formal magic. <laughs> talk. All right. Questions, thoughts. I've been talking for a while. Yeah. So, so just more questions. I'm afraid. <laughs> um, can you give me some examples of some some spells, some some castings? What sort of stuff would you cast for? Yeah, okay. So I'm going to talk about now. This is relevant, and it's it's. I'm going to just go where the magical charge is right now. So I'm going to talk about coronavirus. God help us. So <laughs> so I, I had a conversation with a neurosurgeon who was also a Taoist practitioner, and we were talking about possibly collaborating he was also what, what, sorry. a Taoist. Taoist, Taoist sorry. Yeah. Big into the power of Taoist calligraphy. And sorry if that's too much information to identify somebody. It probably is, because there's not that many of them. But, um, but he did a very beautiful, long-form blessing at the end of our conversation, which I was very grateful for. It was an Avalokiteshwara blessing. And it involved a very, very long, I was like 10 or 15 minutes recitation of a non-repeating mantra 
extremely fast in Tibetan and a bunch of hand positions and mudras and energetic stuff he was clearly doing. And um, he had been practicing for a long time. And whether you you think I'm crazy or not, on my end, it definitely felt like I was feeling something quite strong from this. It felt like white healing light was just pouring through uh, the Zoom screen. (laughs) Welcome to the era of coronavirus magic. (laughs) And... I thought, so well, I'm actually... via Zoom rather than... Yeah, this is... Uh, yeah, not in person. And so, and I thought, well, I'm actually feeling really good right now. Like, maybe I don't need all this energy. I should redirect it and radiate it out and rechannel it to something that needed doing. And so I thought, well, coronavirus is something that needs some white light addressed to it. Let's see what happens when I just send this very, very clean, clear blessing energy at it not in an aggressive way but just like a healing way let's just see this clear light of awareness and this clear light of very pure intent what happens when that interacts with coronavirus and i all of a sudden found myself in this very very visionary space where i was envisioning the earth and then i was envisioning coronaviruses maybe being like a third the size of the earth it's this gigantic black sort of spiky virus ball And then it was raining these black particles down on the earth. And I was feeling into that and going, okay, what do I cast at this? So there's this light coming through that was being amplified by the blessings I was receiving. And I was really just sort of transmitting it back at this thing or sort of channeling or directing it. And then I started thinking, oh, wait a second. Coronavirus is unbelievably complicated. And I started feeling into like, what is this thing magically? And I thought, wow, it is so much death and destruction and fear. It is also so much transformation. It could be looked at from so many magical points of view. And I've had a lot of magical conversations with friends about this. So this is what you're getting is now the collective synthesis and distilling of a lot of interactions between me and a lot of my magical friends. um, A lot of whom are also very successful professionals and things and scientists and tech people and stuff. Anyway, um, and healers in their own rights. And it's, it's the fulfillment of so many dark dreams, the number of dark dreams that this might be the magical fulfillment of, of political change, of economic change, of ecological change, um, planetary points of view. Maybe this is Mother Nature healing itself, you know, or curse point of view. Maybe we've strayed far from the path of the light and this is our terrible karmic reward for our greed and our stupidity. Or... Uh, ecological points of view. Maybe this is just a species out of balance. And now this is an opportunity for a virus, which is another sort of living thing. I know scientists would say maybe it's not living, you know, conscious or whatever, perceptive, but we don't know. We don't actually know what the minimum requirements of consciousness are. Mm -hmm. We have no idea. There's no science to say that, period, zero. There's science to say maybe it doesn't metabolize without entering a cell, but there's no science of what the minimum, you know, requirements for consciousness are. And uh, so, and then I thought maybe this is its time and it gets to reproduce. What's it from its point of view? And then I thought of like all the death and suffering and the agony of people. And then I thought all the people who think, well, actually it's our time. You know, I thought all the resentment people sometimes have of the elderly and the resources they consume. And then I thought of the elderly and like, they're screaming out, no, 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 we're so valuable. We're so important. Don't, don't dismiss us. Don't let us go. Don't let this ravage nursing homes. And it became this incredibly complicated uh, sort of visionary thing into all these different aspects of this dance of causality and perspectives and paradigms. And in the end, I thought, beyond that, I don't have enough sense of this thing to cast right now. Right? And I just stopped. And I thought, okay, this spell needs a lot more thought and it's going to require me to grow and see things from points of view I don't maybe have access to right now. But the overwhelming message was pause. This is too overwhelmingly complicated. The amount of energy and magical force swirling into this thing is very, very great. And there was also a sense of caution. Like, are you sure you want to go up against this thing if you have any confrontational energy to you? This thing's very, very big. Are you sure that's what where your energy needs to be directed right now? Are you sure? What's, what's the feedback? Because in a time you connect with anything magically, there's a channel that opens and that goes both ways. 
is that skillful right now? Do you understand the implications of opening that channel? What does that mean for you in your life? Energetically, magically, in any other way, causally, I don't know. And I thought, I just need to pause. I just need, I can feel into this. That's perfectly a good idea. In fact, very important. But in terms of a casting, hold back. And so blessings I'm okay with. I'm generally okay with blessings, general blessings. So I, I still do those. But this is one pause I think, thing I thought, hmm, oof. And I recognize limitations on this side. Uh, and I thought, I just need to be appropriately wary and appropriately skillful. And what's, what's really my role in this is where is this going? Because there are forces that move in the world that are so big. We're just nothing in comparison to them. We're the vaguest speck of dust in the face of that hurricane. And this in many ways is one of those things. And yet it will be collective energies and collective action and messaging and memes and vision that do change the outcome of this. But it's going to take grand vision. And how do you put grand vision for people to be safe and okay uh, um, out there? And what does that mean? And I don't know. So it was one of these things that is much on my mind these days magically, but has also has caused me to step back and reconsider a lot of global, planetary, ecological, societal, economic points of view very deeply. And I'm still not done with that process. And all of that from a certain point of view is the spell itself. All of that is intrinsically a part of the casting and probably has effects I don't understand. But that's where I am with that. So anyway. What, what, options, what options could there be to cast? What, what could you have, you know, uh, I totally get what you're saying. It's, it's remarkable. But, <laughs> but what, what could you have done that you decided to pause from doing? Yeah, so I have friends who are casting a whole range of responses, right from the most aggressively like old school command and control, like we will stop coronavirus. This is an evil plague yeah. on the land. We will shut this down. Yeah. You know, this is a demonic force of evil that is killing beings and needs to be stopped. <clears throat> this is just pure badness and we will stand up as the righteous warriors of spiritual power against that and do collective rituals that will shut it down right so i've, I've got friends who are casting on that end and a, a number of them and have cast multiple times and invited me to these kinds of castings and i'm just like yeah okay i i understand where you're coming from and maybe that's very important right now and i don't you know it's a part of the conversation but that's one end of the spectrum and then have other people far on what seems like the other end of the spectrum, but in some ways is related because it's all from a certain point of view coming from a compassionate, they're all trying to be okay and do the right thing, whatever. So the other point of view is like very much healing and light and clarity and love and descending, embracing and healing the world and healing the planet and allowing change and being very acceptive of this transformational process we're going through and thinking of this as a real growth opportunity or a healing opportunity for the planet and to destabilize structures that were broken or just causing damage and to create new ones and to flow into that with as much love and consciousness as they can. Um, thinking about it sort of magically, collectively, energetically, chakrally, healingly, um, calling in angels or divine power to help transform this or transmute this into something beautiful, to see the opportunities in it, to have the time to settle back into nature, to reconnect, to garden, to do simple magic of home and hearth and family, and to get away from the greed and consumerism. And, and so th there's kind of that flavor. And, um, and then every, everything in between, like those are, those are sort of the two, kind of the two major sort of schools of magical thought and vibe that I'm appreciating right now is uh, major currents that are kind of flowing paradigmatically in the world that I'm hearing. And there's others, but those are sort of the two, two sort of major kind of groups, I'd say. Um, and uh, so any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, <laughs> quite a bit. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm just liking your idea that you were saying initially about getting this sense of seeing it from the other side because they're you know the very obvious thought is everybody goes coronavirus you're a bastard get lost we're going to crush you, you yeah know, you're just bad stuff I have a lot of those friends yeah, absolutely I and totally I, get I totally it. get that too yeah. and as you're saying well hold on that there's another point of view there's the point of view from 
the coronavirus point of view and the car yeah, yeah. and the, the life and the, and what's going on there. And so what's the compassionate point of view and, and what's, what's allowed to be. And I think, it, I think it goes right back to what we started talking about at the beginning of this sense of life, the universe and everything having magical qualities. And there's two sides to everything and you need to see that. I guess the difficulty is getting lost in that. And at what point do you take action? At what point don't you? Um, yeah, and then sort of when I think of a lot of my very ordinary magic, I've gone very Candide, very Voltaire, mm -hmm. very cultivate your own garden. Like, what do I reasonably have control of? I can grow vegetables. I can make sure I have enough water. I can make sure I can protect my family. I can help out the people I know who really need some help that are close and have a connection with. And I can continue to offer support to people who are processing various things. I can help to um, lend my medical and epidemiological point of view to helping to disentangle the confusion in the literature and the messages and thoughts on what this all means and where it comes from and what to do about it. And just try to lend some of that education to that, which all doesn't sound very magical. And yet for me is actually very magical. When I'm grounding down in the garden, I very much think, okay, I'm connecting to the earth. And connecting to life and plants and that generative green energy and the light of sun and water and the magic of all of that and garden worms and microbes all blending together to create nourishing foods and things i very much think of that as witchery yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think of that as magic i think of that as healing i think of that as something important to do to have a little bit of local sustainability to just try to go in that kind of direction um, and so, and supporting family and, and thinking about how to lend an ear, I, I think of all of that as magic, every bit of it equally, really. Um, and when I do these things, I often very formally thinking about just the ordinary being the extraordinary. And I find that paradigm incredibly enriching. So the reenchantment movement to find the extraordinary and the order, ordinary to really give a damn and be amazed by mystery <laughs> to really feel what's going on, to be awake and alive to that. The reenchantment movement is I think very valuable and important to a society that can get lost in a lot of sort of digital dehumanizing tech and greed and stupidity. <laughs> um, so not that tech can't be magical as well. So the magic of technology, right? What we're doing is explicitly magical. And from a certain point of view, it's just one more medium of magical exchange. And that's beautiful, right? From a certain point of view, this whole podcast and you listening to it are all part of a dance and a spell. And that's obviously something beautiful. And uh, yet, um, yeah, I think also not taking it all too seriously. So what I haven't I've hinted at and laughed a bunch, but having a sense of humor about all this as well, I think is really critical for magic, not taking it too seriously, being able to laugh at its healing. Actually, one of the greatest banishings that comes to us from chaos magic is simply laughing. <laughs> you know, in terms of clearing out unskillful forces, not only out there, but especially in here. Yeah. Right, because you can get so super serious about all this and magical wars and battles between, you know, groups of people and magical combat. It could just get so toxically, ah, right? And, oh, we've got to do it this way. This is the only way. And we must cast the spell now. And this is the critical path. And this is the true way of the light. Ah. <sighs> you know, being able to throw some of that off and take a step back and, and have a sense of humor about mm -hmm. it. Very important. At the risk of being dogged around, I'm, I'm intrigued about this idea of castings. I know you mentioned before things like, I think you mentioned a, a lesser banishing ritual or something. I, I wonder if you could just say some of, the, some of the, these sort of more stock spells. What are they? What do they do? Do you do them? So I used to do more formal, sorry, I used to do more formal magic than I currently mm. do like following an exact ritual sequence of an exact precise thing, such as the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram, uh, pentagram which comes to us out of Golden Donian rituals and, that's, that's and Crowley that and, sort of that. Western Crowley. Yeah, um, uh, Crowley, I think as the British usually say it, Crowley as we Americans say it. And uh, I've heard debates about how it's pronounced. I think Sco Crowley. Scone and scone. 
Crowley Crowley. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, so that's Western esotericism, which is coming to us very much similar to Masonic magic or Rosicrucian magic or that kind of Western hybrid tradition where they've been blended in a bunch of uh, Kabbalah, or Kabbalah, however you want to say it, and um, grimoire magic and put it all together in something of a formalized system and then came up with something called the Lesser Banishing Ritual of the Pentagram, where you would chant a bunch of Hebrew, basically invoke specific arch archangels and go around to four corners with charged pentagrams that you draw in the air with your finger and connect them in a circle. And then, you know, so this is a formal ritual that a lot of people in Western magic would learn where they're basically grounding down, clearing out um, unskillful energies and using it as a sort of a opener kind of warm up foreplay to kind of get you in the mood and get you in the space. Uh, someone's got to be really annoyed with that <laughs> way of describing it, I'm sure, but sorry. And yeah, so it's a banishing ritual, uh, an earth banishing so sort of ritual. banishing to, energies, as it were. Yeah, energies. to clear out unskillful energies and make sort of a clean palette or space uh, in which to work. And I don't do as nearly as much of that as I used to, particularly back in the 90s and early 2000s when I was really doing a lot of that kind of stuff and reading a lot of spell books. And I think it's normal and magical development to usually look at a system or a bunch of systems, learn them, though some people just start out intuitively and stay intuitive, but I was sort of a geek and kind of like structure and stuff. So that's, you get these different magical personalities and I'm not saying one is better than the other, there's just different magical styles. And I got into high magic and then I sort of got into what you might call sort of low magic or intuitive magic. And then I blended that with a bunch of different magical traditions and schools and thought about, got started getting more back into Buddhist magic and what did they do and what were the actual spells back in the text. And then it ended up sort of morphing all this into my own sort of chaos magic influenced hybrid where I bring, just bring in a lot of elements as they seem to strike me as being a good idea. So yeah, where did, were we? Did, did, we did, did you ever try and do the standard, you know, turn somebody into a toad, make a building appear, that kind of standard stuff. I have never tried to, tried to turn anybody into a toad. <laughs> um, for whatever reason, uh, it's never been the right situation, the right time. I, nobody's ever asked. I had this whole ethical thing, you know, nothing against toads, but most people would not want to be them. Um, from a sort of scientist, uh, rational disbelief point of view, I think my chances of actually turning someone into a toad would likely be quite small. I don't entirely rule out the possibility of being something of a skeptic and an ontological agnostic, but it would obviously be a very unusual. However, from a magical point of view, I would assume that the sort of toad cursing someone would likely be some seriously unskillful karmic shit. Plus, <laughs> maybe they really deserved it. No super kidding. No, uh, anyway, but not really, but kind of. So here's the problem. Like, when is it unskillful to reject being the natural agent of somebody's karma? Mm. Ooh, that was a terrible thing to say. And a bunch of my like strict white magical people just totally freaked out when I said that. Uh, but that's obviously, you need to go into that territory with, serious, serious um, skepticism of your own good intentions and whether or not you're really right and justified in doing that kind of magic that is really impossible not to classify as black magic mm -hmm. from most points of view. Uh, you need to take your black magic 10 times more seriously than you take any other magic. And if you're doing something that obviously has those kinds of black magical components, you need to think long and hard about what price you're pretty much guaranteed to pay for doing that, and is there another way? I, yeah, so. no, I'm, I'm being sort of flippant and, and sort of joking about it, but it's more of a sense of, you know, is there a magic out there where, you know, if it's ethically okay that we can try and, you know, manipulate the material world? Yeah, so where do I start telling stories? Lord of the Ring style. Yeah, and so then this gets, when you start getting into this stories, it's what everybody fix on and will take away from the conversation, and that's the problem. When I really want them to take away the paradigms, the ethics, and all of that, they're going to take away this. So just realize that what we're doing is kind of bad from a certain point of view, but here we go. Okay. So... Um, where do I start? I'm going to start with the really simple stuff. 
So I was on a fire casino retreat and there was someone there who was having a super hard time doing the magical exercise we were doing at the time. Our concentration was powered up. We had already gotten to the level we could see weird colors, manipulate them and do strange things with them with our eyes closed. Right, so something of the internal control of visual and sometimes auditory experience through repeated practice, you know, of, you know, by this point, at least 100 hours. And then we would go out on the lawn and, and at twilight, which is when it's usually the easiest to see stuff you're drawing in the air and try to draw symbols in the air with your finger, which if you do fire casino practice, some people can learn to do more or less easily than others, but it's something you can learn to do. And you can learn to see colors trailing off your finger and sometimes even kind of feel your finger moving through the air, almost like it's like a semi-viscous material. And then if you do this well enough, sometimes other people can see this too. And different people and people have different skill levels as being either transmitters or receivers, like picking up on the energy and colors and stuff that other people are drawing or drawing them in a way that other people can see them. Not everybody is equally gifted at both. And the abilities sort of come and go and fade and flicker and unstable, just like when you watch people trained to do magic, sometimes their spells work, sometimes they didn't, or they practice them, the better at them they got. This is just like that. So that's something Harry Potter actually gets right and is just kind of true. So. Um, someone was having a very hard time seeing energy ball in their hands, which is what we're doing, holding up our hands and sort of like as if you were cupping a, a like something like a medium-sized ball and then visualizing energy in between there is some sort of glowing sphere. And this is something I actually had done a lot of. And so whether or not you think I'm delusional hallucinating or actually creating a magical energy ball is not interesting. But the fact is that I can get to... I'm actually experiencing something I can feel, see, and occasionally even sort of hear crackling, an energy ball between my hands. And the more I've practiced this and the more powered up on retreat, the better I can do this. And right now when I'm just trying this, I'm actually getting almost nothing, just so you don't think I'm saying I can do this all the time or well, I'm, no. But sometimes, yeah. And at the moment I was pretty powered up and so I had a pretty good glowing sort of golden purplish kind of complicated ball about you know, seven or eight centimeters or, you know, few inches in diameter that I could get. And they had their hands up and they're like, I'm getting nothing, I'm getting nothing. I was like, well, here, just borrow mine. And I handed my energy ball over to them, put it between their hands and they're like, oh, okay, thanks, now I can see it. And they were both like, what? Because wow. <laughs> at the time it just made so much magical sense because from a certain point of view, we're high as kites. Right, we're in a very altered space. We're intentionally doing practices that alter your perception of reality. And at the time, it was just, of course, I just hand you my energy ball if you can't generate your own, <laughs> sure. right? <laughs> because we're both in weirdo space, right? And then there they were actually able to see and feel this thing and a little bit, not very strongly, but they were like, oh, okay, cool, thank you. And we were both like, huh. So you could just say we're learning to collectively hallucinate or this is just suggestion or hypnosis or whatever. Okay, fine, whatever. But that's one example that just gives you a sense of this thing. And then I could talk about much grander spells. So from a, from a certain point of view, you could say I was able to retire, which is obviously a pretty life-changing thing, because uh, at least two people cast some spells that explicitly asked for that. And then it happened in a way that from a certain point of view seems utterly ordinary and that it, it involved um, things like bank accounts and whatever, but from another point of view is utterly extraordinarily because things like this just almost never happen. And it wasn't actually, it never actually happened in the way we thought it would but the intention to have me be able to not be killing myself in emergency medicine and be able to help people much more full time was definitely there. And when I tell the full story, which I'm actually not going to tell because it's not really all mine to tell and some people need some confidentiality and stuff protected, that's actually an important part of the deal. Um, it was a explicitly magical thing, like down to the numbers, like, and started, began, was, was begun casting years before, and then somehow the circumstances just converged to that's how I'm able to have the free time to be talking to you now and not working in an emergency department. So magic can, if one is skillful and patient, and who knows what other 
factors and forces converge can do some pretty impressive life-changing things. And, and I know this for myself because it's happened to me. And that's why we're here talking. And the vast majority of my friends who have gotten out of magic actually as I've you know, said on, before in some other podcasts where I've talked about this, they got out of it because it worked, not because it didn't. Um, so they, they, and they, they, it working they, they, can they, actually they, really throw and surprise people and they go, okay, whoa. And I've heard more of those stories now than I even care to count to the point that it, what was a cliche is now just, of course, because the notion of having that kind of power, a lot of people, hopefully if they're ethical thinking people, will then look back at themselves and go, wait a second, does it actually make sense for this thing to have that kind of power? And a lot of people then take a step back and go, okay, wait, I need to work on this end. I need to work on the thing that's transmitting and all of its intentions and all of its energies. And is that really skillful? Is the magic, you know, if, if I just, if my intentions just transmitted to real power, is that just frightening? Well, for a lot of people, the honest answer to that is, yeah. Think about what our thoughts and our intentions do all day long. And I don't mean to make anyone feel bad or scared of all their dark thoughts or the strange places they go or their you know, less skillful feelings or desires or angers or grudges, you know, because you know, sex and revenge are the two most common people. Sex, revenge, and power, I guess, are the three people that a lot of people are cynical of magic you know, sorry, cynical about magic, go, well, that's why you're getting into it. It's basically, you know, sex, power, revenge. Why else would you be doing this? Or greed, hatred, right? It's all delusion that drives this. And a lot of people are right that a lot of magic is driven by delusion. But a lot of my more skillful, thoughtful friends actually got into magic and then they recognized something in the ethical necessity of further training of more foundational things on their end if they were going to have that kind of power and backed up took a step back and went, whoa, okay, yeah, I need to do more work. And I've done a lot of that too. So even when I first started getting into magic, I've been very reluctant to cast formally. Very, it's given me a lot of insight into how much work I needed to do on this end to get my heart, mind, gut, body, structure, appreciation of karma and causality much cleaner and more wise and skillful. So that sent me into a lot of other trainings that have helped hopefully make this better than it otherwise might be. Realizing I'm still a flawed mammal and I can't possibly realize all the harm I do by the things I say and the actions I do in the world, which is probably substantial, but that's true of all of us, right? So. In the next section, Daniel's giving suggestions for anyone starting out on the path of magic, what spellcasting is, the science of magic, and magic in mainstream religion. Enjoy. <laughs>